Welcome to the Riot Podcast, where we have practical discussions on how to share your faith, see the news from God's eyes, and answer some of faith's hardest questions. Welcome to the Riot Podcast, and Merry Christmas from Mac Daddy Pete Robertson. Merry Christmas. And myself, Bob Shoneman. What an honor it is to come to you guys before Christmas. And Pete, I'm so excited about today's show. We're going to talk a little bit more about the the birth of Christ yeah. and kind of the things that go yeah. around it. So last week we talked about and narrowed down the exact date of when he was born. Well, Pete's laughing because if you listen to the show, you know, we have no idea what the exact it date is, show, but it was though. fun. It, it was, was fun to talk about. I mean, it. you definitely, if you did not listen to last week's show, go back episode, what, 161. Yep. Um, and in really listen, because there's a lot of stuff I'm sure you probably have never heard before or even thought about. Yeah. And so we've kind of dove a little deeper into kind of history and what's been undug and it was fun. It was a fun show. Yeah. Go back and listen. And then you will know the exact date Jesus was. No, that's no. not true. Righteous <laughs> evasion of truth. You can't say that. Bob. It's kind of like saying we know exact date when Jesus <laughs> is coming back again. We just right? can't know. Maybe. Although... Maybe there's something to that. Maybe he doesn't want us to know the exact date he was born. Uh, and maybe he doesn't want to know the exact date he's coming back. So he's like an anomaly. Yeah, but we could get like his birthday is one out of 366 possible days. <laughs> the, yeah. date of, the date of him coming back no, is it's, like is infinite. It could be, much. you know. And... But we you asked a question last week Uh-oh. was, what was it? Oh, do they celebrate Jesus's birth? Yeah. So after he was born, then every year they celebrated. Well, birth. not just Jesus' birth, that they yeah. celebrate birthdays. So or birthdays celebrated in the first century. And we told you that we would find out and get back to you and tell you. So what here's what we found out. You found out is when they started first. Well, the Egyptians is what I found second. out now, again, this is the internet, and yeah. I know everything on the internet is true. Yes, but it is. Sometimes <laughs> what <laughs> That's I found not out true, people. is there was no. there was uh, they did birthday celebrations in Egypt now, yeah, back as early as seven hundred BC. Right. We know that, and because um, you can find articles and documentations that are showing that the pharaohs celebrated their birthdays. Yeah, so that doesn't mean everybody celebrated. So that's why I find it hard to believe. Like in that culture where they're just, you know, it's a everybody grows their own food. It's a agricultural. I think you kind of lose track of days. You're just doing what you do to survive. Well, we do know that there was some sort of uh, historical document that stated that nobody else can celebrate their birthdays because it was an Egyptian culture. So that that means the Jewish people that were during that time could not, it would have been forbidden to do that. It'd be like a pagan celebration. Yeah. And we also know that there was no records of them celebrating birthdays. We know there's records of them uh, observing the deaths of people, so we we can trace history back to show that, but we don't have any records showing that they celebrated birthdays. I think what they celebrate is their new birth is every year you celebrate the goodness of God. We see that in Psalms 118, something about, you know, if you're going to celebrate, celebrate God and glorify him in your new birth and every year. So, you know, I guess if we're, I don't know, maybe the pagan Christians, what they would celebrate is the day they give their life to the Lord. That might've been... Huh. Something that took well, place. Well, got me know. thinking about that because we knew we know Jesus's ministry was like three years long, and yeah. there's a, there's no record in any of the gospels of them celebrating, yeah. you know, Matthew's birthday or John's right. birthday right. or Jesus's yeah. birthday. Yeah. Never, there's no talk of any yeah. of that. Yeah. So that's what got me thinking. I'm like, I wonder. I bet they didn't even celebrate birthdays yeah. back then. Yeah, so, we, I don't know. Yeah, we do know that <clears throat> the Jewish people today celebrate because I have a friend that we celebrated birthday, so we know that. So doesn't mean all of them do, but you know, that's more of a modern, I think. 
tradition now for people to celebrate birthdays. And it's good to celebrate a birthday. Do they do it in yeah. Eastern cultures? I mean, I know Western cultures, everybody celebrates birthdays. Yeah, they do. they do it in Eastern cultures too? Yeah, they do. And it's, you know, they, they'll they make sure they let you know it's their birthday too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so they wear they a big hat? Yeah. <laughs> well, not like that, but they'll let their friends know. Like, you know, my friends Don't in forget India today's my birthday or tomorrow's my birthday. Yeah. Don't well, forget. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy That's birthday. Anyways, All it's right. good. We want to celebrate and appreciate people every day. Yeah, we really do. You know, well, we are like 10 days away from Christmas. Can That's you cr- believe that? No. It's Time is flying. crazy how fast this year is it's gone. Flying. And you know what? Next year is going to go even faster. Yeah, It's, it's crazy. just a law of nature, I think. Every it, year goes faster than the year before. Right. And it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like uh, the older you get, the I don't know. I look back, I was like, what in the world? Yep. I mean, I just, I here's my my goal in life live every day for his glory, for Jesus' glory. And at the very end of the day, I asked my question, I asked this question, did I bring him glory today? And did I, did I, did I bless him? And did I fulfill my purpose today for him? And, and I, I say that every day and I constantly am evaluating my life. Unfortunately, I have days that I've messed up and it's in those moments that I evaluate my day that I get to surrender again to him. And reset. yeah, and that's okay. There's no condemnation yeah. in that. It's yeah. just, Helps you stay focused and like, yeah. all right, I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'm going to be more like Jesus yeah. tomorrow. And I always look at how am I most efficient today? How am I like today? We're, we're, we're doing a podcast. Is this the most efficient time for my, uh, for my time? Is this the most efficient way I can spend my time? And, and I'm always looking at it. And we literally have every week, hundreds of uh, thousands. I don't even, we don't even know sometimes of downloads. And, and my thought is, well, I'm going to sacrifice my study time and my my time because I know that God and the word of God, we're encouraging people, we're helping people, we're elevating people, and we're loving on people by spending this time talking about things that matter to us, but I know matter to other people. And so, yes, it's worth my time. And so that's the way I evaluate my days is, um, and, and do, is this the best use of time? And am I using my time for his glory or am I complaining all the time? Am I grumbling all the time? Am I, am I mad at the world? You know, there's, what's it say? I wear a bracelet that says complain less, worship more. And it's, it's, <laughs> it, I, and it's to remind me to do exactly that. Christine and I leave a situation like we'll talk about things all the time or people all the time without even us knowing about it. Like, man, I wonder why that person did that. They should really da, 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 da. And it's like, immediately we go into Stop. this. Yeah. And it's like, it's, we're, Lately, we're catching ourselves more by God's grace. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. But it's like, without even knowing it, we're just grumblers. And it's like, instead of really praying for that person or seeing them as Christ sees them and talking about them in a way that would elevate the Lord, we're always talking to them like elevating ourselves. Like, we know what's best. Like, we're the better. Like, we're so smart, you know? And Mm -hmm. the reality is we do things differently. The reality is we have different methods, method, different raising, upbringings, we have different cultures. We have so many different variances that make the world a wonderful place, but we all want everybody to be just like us. And we want everybody to believe what we believe and think the way we think and do the way we think. And if they don't do it our way, we're upset. We're grumblers. That's not how Christ sees us. Christ is like, I'm patient. I'm long suffering. I'm kind. I'm gentle. I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to speak life into you. I want to bless you abundantly. And it's like, why don't we understand that? And if we could just live our perp- our life with purpose with that mentality, man, we would have a whole different life. 
people around us would be affected in such a greater way. Man, so a good reminder. So, Pete, what is the title of our show today are, before I open us up in prayer? Well, there's kind of two parts, but the main title is going to be, Are There Contradictions of Christ's Birth in the Bible? So there's been scholars and arguments on both sides, but we're going to kind of get into um, why was Jesus born in a manger, I think, first. So let's just answer that question, and then we'll get into the contradiction. Okay. But let's pray Sounds and good. get into it. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to just serve you through this podcast. Lord, we thank you for our listeners. We ask that uh, during this Christmas season, Lord, that uh, you would just help us point people to you, that uh, people are open to hearing uh, more about Jesus during this time than any other time of the year, Lord. I pray that uh, as believers, that we would not miss that opportunity to share who you are. Father, we ask you to bless this show now. Uh, Be with the folks that are listening. Um, Be with the folks that they share it with, Lord, um, that they would maybe learn something new about who you are. So we love you and we thank you. We give you this show now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I thought I want to tell the world <clears throat> that Bob is really smart with math. I just thought I'd let everybody know that. All right. What does that have to do with anything? Because you calculate things in your brain like like I can't even comprehend it sometimes. Because we talked about that, you know, when Christmas is and and you just sit there and think, oh, this is how many days away. You just you're good like that. It's just a, it's a gift. It is a gift. Yeah, it, my my wife, it drives my wife nuts. Yeah. Not nuts sometimes. I think she's just like, how how do you, I'm like, I don't know. I just see it. So now everybody knows that Bob is special. It's special <laughs> yeah, Ed. I am yeah. special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm created in his image. I am special, right. just like everybody else. All right. So today, All right. So today we're going to talk about why was Jesus born in a manger of all places? Okay. Let, so we, First of all, he wasn't born in a manger. Well, here's the point. Here's the, here's the thing. <laughs> We, we see the manger scene, we yeah. go through that, and sometimes we ask, you know, we don't really ask the question, why? Yeah. Where did that all come from? So, I don't know, let's just talk a little bit about that. That's you know, fun. That I like thing. that. Yeah. And then along with that, we'll talk about some contradictions that there may be to the birth of Christ. So, yeah. we'll go through all that. It is common saying at Christmas time that Jesus Christ was born in a manger. In fact, I think there's a song about it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and sing it now. No. Pete. no, no. Of course, it wasn't possible for him to actually be born in a manger. Now, we're not going to draw you complete pictures and everything, but yeah. uh, kind of think about that through. You'll understand why. Yeah. But that's where Mary laid him after his birth. Luke. See Luke 2 7. Yep. Although we are not sure of the exact location of where Jesus was born, we do know that it was near or in Bethlehem. And that there was a manger or a feeding trough nearby. So when we, we were just in Bethlehem a couple months ago and a few months ago. Yeah. And so we were standing in the, in the location they believe that it was, and it was a cave. And so we went down underground. It's cool. I've been there. Yeah. And it's that whole cave area. And then we went up on the plateau, one of these one areas and we overlook the scene and they were saying right there is where David was raised. That's where he was brought up. This is his stomping ground. And so all of that was all right there in that. King vicinity. David, right? Yeah. Like yeah, when yeah he was King boy. David. So, but I mean, was it that place? Maybe. I mean, but we're going to kind of explain exactly, you know, what we do. So, but we know, let's just get into what we do know. We know God promises Savior's virgin birth immediately after mankind's first sin in the Garden of Eden. We know that. So Genesis 3.15, he talked about that the Messiah is going to come to redeem the world. We know that. Hundreds of years later, the prophet Micah foretold the birth of Christ in a small town of Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Epirath, yeah, Epirath, yeah, E, um, <laughs> anybody watch last week's show or know that? Though you are small among the clans of Judah, 
out of you will come from me one who will be ruler of over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That's Micah 5.2. This prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus' earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, were called to Bethlehem from a census of the entire Roman territory, Luke 2, 1 through 5. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Jesus to be born, or Luke 2, 6. So <clears throat> let's, we knew, we know that Bethlehem is mentioned. That's foretold in Micah. We know that he, uh, it was foretold ahead of time. We know that. And we know that he was born to Mary and Joseph. And we know that there was a census during that time. If you listen to last week's show, we kind of broke down this a little bit. Um, and so we know that. And then we also know that Luke 2, 7 says that he was born in a manger, but let's define manger. And I think that's what we're going to do a little bit is to get into it. Okay. So according to the Bible, we know that because of the crowds that had to come to Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn for Mary and Joseph. See Luke 2.7. Wow. <laughs> Tradition says that the inn was some sort of hotel. That's always how I've envisioned it in yep. the past. Yep. We don't know that for sure. We, but it may not have been a Holiday Inn Express is what you're telling me. No. In fact, the Greek word translated in, kataluma, yep. could be translated as a guest room. Yep. That's an interesting twist. Yeah. This fact has led some to believe that Jesus may not have been born in a stable or a barn, but in a house with a lower floor serving as a nighttime shelter for the family's animals. If that were the case, it wouldn't be surprising to find a manger located in that area of the house. When Luke states that there was no room in the Cataluma, he could mean there was no room on the upper level, which would have been full of other people sleeping. Okay, so we so based off of what I when you said you've been to Bethlehem and been to Bethlehem, when you go you go down below, yeah, that's where those caves were. That's where the the, the livestock would have been, you know. So that's where the animals and everything else below. So above would have been the house, but they didn't have anything, and so below. So, in any case, what we do know for certain is Jesus was born at night. We know that in some sort of keeping place of animals. We know that. So it. So to to be a guest house or to be down below, that makes more sense, okay? So after Jesus was delivered, Mary, his mother, wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger. That We know that because it says it in Luke 2, 7. Later that same night, shepherds from nearby fields found him just as the angels told them they would. And we know that in Luke 2, 10 through 12. So why was the Savior and King born in a place where the animals were kept? And why was he then laid in the animal's food trough? Surely God's son deserved a high profile birth um, in most elegant of the surroundings. Um, I don't know why that was um, misquoted. But anyway, so what I would say to that is no one knows for sure why he chose this, but we can know that his appearance on earth came in the lowliest of circumstances. This humble birth conveys an amazing message to creation. The transcendent God cons con uh, consented to come to us. Instead of coming to earth as a pampered, privileged ruler, Jesus, born in meekness as one of us, he is approachable, accessible, and available. No palace gates bars the way to him. No ring of guards prevents our approach. The king of kings came humbly, and his first bed was a manger. So what we can take from it is he chose, for whatever reason, to come in poverty, to come in the lowest of low. Right. We know we can we can we can we know there's animals there. We don't know exactly what animals, probably a donkey, probably, you know, we don't know, maybe camels or maybe something like that. Um, and we know that there was a, a eating trough called a manger that was there. And that's what they would put him in. Um, 
the night of his birth. So we know that. And then he came in such a humble way. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that part? Have you seen the movie Aladdin? Yeah. Oh, you know, remember when Prince Ali comes in? Prince Ali. Prince Ali, yeah. yeah. Comes in and it's a huge parade and there's yeah. gold. He's throwing gold coins yeah. out. I mean, that's how humans, we think oh, the God of the universe, this is how he should have come in, right? Yeah. But he doesn't. No. And he comes, he comes in with in. no fanfare, really. But, Nothing. But, but the angels revealed to the shepherds that the Messiah has born and they, yeah. they went to see him. So it was the shepherds. It was not the high class. It was the, the working class. And that's a good point. So yeah. what, I mean, in that society, what, how, you know, in a ranking system, yeah. where do the shepherds fall? Oh, they're lowly. They're like, they're yeah. lowly, right? Yeah. Very lowly. And then in the animals, if you're in an animal, you're being associated with being with the animals. That means you're poor. I mean, that's all they had. And so he chose that. That's this is how the God of the universe comes to earth. It's amazing. And so what is it telling us? It's telling us that he wants us to have that simple mindset. He wants us not to be all about ourselves, all about how much money we have, all about where we live. He came humbly. And he, I mean, at one point he says that he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Yep. And so, I mean, his whole mind says, I trust God with my life and I will live my life daily for his glory and I will trust him to supply all of my needs. And whatever that looks like, he just trusts the Lord. And it's simple. What an example. Yeah, not all complex. Right. All right. So we are aware that Jesus came to serve instead of being served. He, I mean, demonstrates that. Yep. Uh, and he even said it. The Father did not come to be served, but to serve. Yep. He has set an example <laughs> for us to follow in our own lives. He demonstrated this principle even at his birth. However, the world has taken the significant event and turned it into a commercialized concept known as the nativity scene yeah how did this transformation occur and is it a good thing or a bad thing yeah that's a great question because we see the nativity scene everywhere yeah and and you know people they they charge money a lot of times to come see it right sometimes you have to pay to go actually see the nativity scene you were talking about maybe seeing a live nativity yeah. scene when when you go to uh yeah. italy right? rome so they'll, they'll have it before. But I mean, a lot of churches will do it for free. They'll rent it out, they'll come. But there's, is there a hidden motive behind it? Is it because, hey, we want you to come to our church? Or what is what is the whole thing behind it is commercialization? But here's, here's I don't think it's a bad thing. I think God can still use it for his glory. It's, it's not a bad thing if it helps us remember Jesus and all that he's done for us. That's the bottom line. If it, if it helps bring a memory to us um, and point it to, to him, Praise the Lord. I mean, thank you, God, for doing the nativity scene. I mean, that's kind of like you see a nativity scene. Like you go around our, our neighborhoods now and you have nativity scenes everywhere. I smile every time I see it. Everywhere. So it's, it it's well, for us, it's we're saying, well, they're associating with Jesus. And yeah. so immediately that helps us recognize, hey, they believe in the, they believe in Christ. So right. to us, it makes it, it's a good thing. So, but to some people, they look at us all those stupid Christians, you know, or whatever. So yes, from that perspective, it's a good thing, but it could be a bad thing if we use it as religion for gain or profit for ourselves. Tradition says that Francis of Assai created the very first Christmas nativity scene in AD 1223, so 1223, after a trip to the Holy Land in Christ's birthplace. So it began a new tradition that took root in many Western countries, especially ours. Today, we can see this nativity scene in front of churches and homes, our street corners, and in and pageants every Christmas season. The word nativity is taken from the Latin nativus, which means arisen by birth. So a nativity scene is a representation of the night of Jesus' birth as depicted in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. 
Nativities can be pictures, models, live demonstrations, or carvings, but they usually contain the same elements. The Christ child in a manger, his mother Mary, his earthly father Joseph, shepherds, angels, various barn animals, a star, and sometimes three wise men bringing gifts. A nativity scene is most often set inside a stable hmm. or a cave. So, you know what just struck me? What? I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. We were talking about this last week, you know, how it's just not important. In fact, so what I was thinking while you're reading that is like, yeah, it was his birth is only covered in two of the four gospels. Yeah. I mean, the feeding of the 5,000 is in all four gospels. Yeah. Yeah. So again, God's just telling us it's not that important. Yeah. I got to tell you about it because yeah. we're fulfilling prophecy here that I want to show you was fulfilled. Yeah. But it's not so important that I need John and, and Mark to even tell you about it. Like we can, we can move along. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. It is. And, you know, another thing is people ask, well, when did the nativity scene come? Well, now you know it's in 1223. There will be a quiz later. Yeah. And if you want to know about AD and BC, go to the last week's <laughs> show because we talked about that. It was fun, though. Yeah. Kind of opened my eyes to some things. Yeah. All right. Displaying a Christmas nativity scene is a long standing tradition. Yeah. It dates back to 1223. But it can also present a bit of a skewed view of what actually happened the night of Jesus' birth. While each person depicted, uh, in a traditional nativity scene, is part of the Christmas story. <laughs> Sorry, there was a, some some side noise. Part of the Christmas story. Not all the characters were present in one place on the night Jesus was born. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus certainly were there, um, but were there in the due to uh, the overcrowding in Bethlehem's inn. Remember again, is it a Holiday Inn or is it a house? We don't know. Luke well, I think, I think it's just I think it's a place that people came to visit. And I think all it was probably so many people came into these small towns. It's overcrowded. Yeah, it's just overcrowded. But again, because of the census. But the Bible never mentions whether or not there were animals present. In fact, we just it, assume it never even mentions a stable. Yep. It just mentions yep. the manger. We okay. assumed. Yep. The shepherd we did. The shepherds once told of Jesus' arrival, once they were told that Jesus' arrival, left their flocks to worship the newborn king. See Luke 2 7, 2 16. However, the angels, which are often part of the nativity scene, bore the good news to the shepherds in the fields. They were not at the manger scene, or they were not at the manger. See Luke 2, 8 through 14. As far as we know, there were no angels flying visibly around uh, overhead when Jesus was uh, was born. Um, the wise men, this is, this is something that you always see the wise men at the nativity scene, right? The wise men, the Bible never says how many there were, by the way, were also probably not present that first night. The, Mag the Magi visited Jesus sometime later. He and he was when they visited, house. he was in a house. Yeah. See Matthew 2, 1, so, I mean, you, 1 through 11. You, dis you just basically dissect facts. So we've taking, we've taken a lot of this out of context. And so what we see today um, it never mentions stable. It never mentions um, the shepherds. I mean, but later, or or even the wise man <clears throat> doesn't mention animals. But we've like thrown all that stuff together in one scene. Flying angels all around. <laughs> it's all so of... that's what we see, <laughs> right? And it and it's and it's so what we're saying is that it's not that important. So what we see, we can make it religion, and we can make it all about religion. And lose the whole point of what Jesus did, and there's a reason why it was only in two gospels. He just he he didn't want to make it that big of a deal. 
But despite these small details, a Christmas nativity scene is a wonderful reminder of what happened the night Jesus was born. Ever since Adam and Eve's sin, our relationship with God has been marred and broken. We know that, Genesis 3 and Romans 5.12. But out of love, God sent his son in human form to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10 says that. To that end, Jesus Christ was born in the town of Bethlehem or somewhere close Modern Christmas nativity scenes help us to proclaim Christ's birth and the true reason for the season. So that's that's the bottom line. Yeah, that's the key right there. Yep. If, if nothing else, it just reminds us of that <clears throat> night, what Jesus, you know, what what he did for us. That's awesome. That's Again, kind of, every time I see him, I smile. I, I it To me, it, it gives me warm fuzzies. I don't know. Let's go a little bit deeper into Bethlehem. So talk about, because okay. it's talking about it. We talk about Bethlehem as where Jesus was born. Let's explore that more. The Bible um, chronicles Jesus Christ's birth in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 20, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And then again, um, Dr. Luke covers it in chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and in chapter 2, 1 through 20. Yeah, we should call Matthew tax collector Matthew. Yeah, tax collector Matthew and and Dr. Dr. Luke. Luke. Here you go. Okay, at the time of Mary's pregnancy, a decree by Caesar Augustus went out that all the world should be registered. See Luke 2, 1. This means that every person in the Roman territory was required in a Roman territory was required to return to the city of their ancestry and to be counted in a census. Yeah, so we have Rick and Aren't you glad we don't have to do that now? And it would be a lot easier for us now, but aren't you glad like for our census that every we would 10 have years, to go back? We got to go back to where we were born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this last census was probably the easiest I re- that I remember yeah, in like my time. Postcard, boom, right? boom, boom. Yeah, it was yeah, really a simple. Postcard. So every 10 years most governments do that. So but what we need to know is that Joseph lived in Nazareth. We know that from Bible, from Bible at the time, but needed to travel south to the region of Judea. So Nazareth is probably about from a drive's time, probably about a half hour, 45 minutes from Galilee. So it's, it's, and then Bethlehem would be probably about another 45 minutes south, south of Nazareth. So it's, it's kind of that towards a little bit towards more towards the coast. But than Joseph didn't have a car. No, he had to walk. Yeah, that's a long journey. Um, they actually have, if you go over there from Galilee, um, from the Sea of Galilee, they have a trail that they used to take all the way to Beth, all the way to Nazareth and then down. So they still have that trail that you can actually walk and hike on. So yeah, kind of cool. Especially with a pregnant <clears throat> wife, too. That'd be a long walk. Yeah. The disciples had a car, though. Oh, yeah, they had many cars. Yeah, they had, yeah, because they were all in one accord. I read They that. were in one accord, a Honda. That's exactly right. So, hey, there's a Christmas, there's a kind of a Bible <laughs> joke. That was good. Everybody that's listening is all laughing. Sorry. Right now. Um, Couldn't resist. But so they had to try to the city of David, which we know is, is called Bethlehem. And I just, like I told you, that's where David was born um, because he was in the house of the lineage of David. So that's in Luke 2, 4. We know that. So naturally, Joseph took his betrothed Mary. Um, his soon-to-be wife, to go with him to be counted as a member of his family. Um, well, they were married at that time, right? So they got married. I don't know. They did, I don't know. Betrothed means before, right? That's a, That could be a whole other show. No, that's a great question. I feel like they were <laughs> married. They just hadn't consummated the marriage. You know, as many times as I study this, I don't know if you I've know ever actually yeah. put, that, I put that thought there. Did they have a wedding ceremony later? I don't know. Okay. That's a good question. Yeah. I just told myself. Put a little little post-it note. Yeah. So counted as a member of his family. Thus, the young couple ended up in the small town of Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth. 
This location aligns with the prophecy foretold by Micah, proclaiming that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, which origins are from old and ancient times. So why is Jesus ruler over Israel? Is because he set it straight. He's he became the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's and he remember Jesus said that Israel is going to be his inheritance. And so the inheritance are going to rule the whole world. And so if everybody believes in Jesus, if they all give their life, the whole world, then they will be saved. But if they deny Jesus, then they will not be saved and live in hell for all eternity. So the whole world, well, so who, where's Jesus coming back again? What it says in Revelation, he steps foot in Israel again. He will rule from Israel. That's the center of the world. And so everybody that believes in him will have eternal life. Everybody that doesn't believe in him will not. So that's that's why he is the king. That's why the prophecy is this. So the king of Israel um, took place there in Israel. All right. We could assume because so many had returned to Bethlehem for the census, the small city might have been overflowing with people. There was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn, which forced them to take refuge in the only place available, a shelter for animals. Although the Bible never mentions animals yeah. being present at the birth of Christ, Luke does say that the baby Jesus was laid in a manger, and the presence of a manger strongly implies the presence of Yeah, that's, I mean, that's good to restate that, because that's kind of what we were saying before. I mean, it's... It we don't know it doesn't say it for sure, so we take liberty and add that into it. But let's just be careful that we don't make that a big deal. Um, there's also a theory that the shelter in which Jesus was born was a place in the northern part of Bethlehem called Migdal Eater. Um, this was a watchtower with a place underneath the shepherds used during the lambing lambing season to shelter the newborn lambs that would later be used as sacrifices in Jerusalem Temple. The prophet Micah, who foretold Bethlehem as the place of Messiah's birth, also mentions Migdal Eater. As for you, Watchtower of the Flock, Hebrew, Migdal Eater, stronghold of daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to a daughter of Jerusalem. So maybe it was in between because we're really close by. So I don't know. So he mentions it's like it's almost like he's covering both things. Bethlehem was small back then. Migdal Edo was kind of small. They both weren't big like they are today. So maybe it was like somewhere in between. Who knows? But this theory is used to explain why when the heralding angels gave the sign that the baby be wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger, the shepherds seemed to know exactly where to look. Hmm. And it would be a, a apropos for the Messiah to be born in the same place where the sacrificial lambs were born. Indeed. Whether the actual location of Jesus' birth was an indoor animal shelter or a separate barn or a tower used for lambing, uh, lambing, the Bible is clear that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born in a humble set of, setting in the town of Bethlehem. So I'm I'm wondering if they just they combine them together. The shepherds knew exactly, you know, maybe there was a lamb because he is the lamb, you know, slain for us, Lamb of God. So what a picture that is, though. Yeah. That it, I don't know if it's true, but if he was born in the same place where the lambs are born yeah. that are being sacrificed in the temple, and they would wrap those lambs, that swaddling cloth, to keep yep. them unblemished, yep. right? So they wouldn't get mud on them, or yep. they would be perfect in every way. And if Jesus was born in the same place, wrapped in the same type of cloth, what a picture. Yeah, I've foreshadowing heard. what he was going to do for all of us. And I think the reason why we even brought this up, because I've never heard 
a pastor or a teacher really go into this. I've heard the, it one time and yeah. it was powerful. Yeah, yeah. So there's, but I'm just saying that area, the Migdal area, yeah. they go into the Bethlehem area and they go into what you were just saying, but the shepherds knew exactly where it is. So there maybe was a spot that was maybe in between. So that's oh. just the thoughts. Yeah. Sure. yeah. All right. Some people have said that the narratives of Jesus's birth in the Bible contradict each other. What do you think about that, Pete? Well, I mean, let's go into it. And I, you know, obviously I don't believe the Bible ever contradicts itself. I just think the studier or the theologian that's studying it is taking things out of context. And so let's just kind of break this down a little bit um, and then kind of go into it. So there's only two, only two of the gospels give an account of what's happening surrounding Jesus' birth. You just talked about that earlier. Yep. So Matthew one through two gives information about Joseph and includes the story of the Magi from the East and Luke one through two does not mention the Magi, but focuses on Mary and the various others, Elizabeth, Zacharias, the shepherd, Simeon, and Anna, who praise God from the incarnation. So various people have claimed that the books of Matthew and Luke contradict each other and that the narratives of Jesus' birth are in opposition. The claim is spacious, uh, how do you say that? Spacious, spacious, or uh, Suspicious. That's Suspicious. that was a oh. wrong. That was a wrong spelling. Sorry. And the details provided by <laughs> that makes Matthew, a lot more sense. Yeah, it does. And the <laughs> and the details provided by Matthew and Luke are easily reconciled into a comprehensive whole. Um. So there's a context here. So let's let's detail this context. Okay. Let's let's break this down. There's yes, they say things differently. So I. I would say it from what I feel it's truth. You would say it from what you feel it's truth. We're both saying the same things. We're just coming from different directions. That's what's happening. That's the context. So let's just break that down. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. how we can reconcile both of these. Okay, yeah. so Jesus was born a virgin. We yep. can see that, Matthew um, one eighteen. So this, 20... yeah, so both Gospels have this. Yes. So this is what they do agree upon. So Jesus was born of a virgin. Go we'll ahead. go through that. Um, so again, Matthew 1, 18, 23, and 25, and then also Luke one twenty seven. So we can verify, yes, they both agreed on that, both of the virgin. Jesus was born of a virgin. Yeah. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth, a town in Galilee. See Matthew 2.23 and Luke one twenty six and 2.4. Um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. See Matthew 2 1 and Luke 2 4 through 7. Or the vicinity around Bethlehem. Yep. After Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph returned to Nazareth, Matthew 2 23, and then Luke 2 39. Yeah. So those those we know for, for for a fact both experience. Now let's discuss the details of of how they're unique, how they're different. So the Magi first visited Jesus. We know that's only in Matthew 12, 2 1 through 12. Joseph and um, and Mary flee to Egypt to escape Herod's cruelty. We know that's only in Matthew. Um, a group of shepherds visit Jesus in the manger. We only know that through Luke. Um, Joseph and Mary make a trip to the temple in Jerusalem in fulfillment of the law. We only know that in Luke. So those are unique just to those. So we take then both Matthew and um, Luke, and we can combine them together to kind of give us a bigger picture. Yeah. So it's just a different eyewitness account, a different way of explaining it. It's not contradicting it. It's just giving a different way of looking at it. All right. Okay. So many of those who claim to see a contradiction in the narratives of Christ's birth usually point to Luke 2.39, which says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And Matthew 2.21-23, which says that Joseph and his family went to Nazareth on the return from Egypt, 
According to the critics, Luke, who says nothing about the flight to Egypt, indicates that Jesus was taken to Nazareth directly from the temple. And Matthew, who does not mention the temple, um, says that Jesus was taken to Nazareth directly from Egypt. I can see why that would be confusing, right? Because, But you have to fill in, you have to naturally fill in um, some holes here. So. Yeah, you could almost have to be like assuming, okay, next day, the next day, next day, but there's gaps. They're, they're not covering, this isn't a day-by-day, play-by-play. No, so it's important to acknowledge that the silence does not equal denial. Luke's omission in his narrative of the flight to Egypt cannot be construed as evidence that it never happened. Luke never says that Joseph and Mary did not go to Egypt. He simply doesn't comment on the event. Matthew never mentions the shepherds of the nativity. Are we to assume because Matthew's omission that there's no shepherds came? Clearly. No, I mean, that we, we know that it's there because the context. But it's also important is the fact that neither Matthew nor Luke claim that he is pinning an exhaustive account of every detail surrounding the birth of Christ. Right. There's probably volumes more that they could have written that they never did. So John addresses that at the end of his book, yeah, right? If, I mean, if I, we wrote everything, the, the books in the world could not contain it. it because yeah. John, we, I believe that John was written way late, right? So later than everybody else. And I believe that he looked back and he probably saw all the gospels and Paul's letters and, and all this. And he's probably thinking, man, I can be writing about this forever. There's so much more that I can tell, but I'm going to give you my eyewitness account. I'm going to give you what I sense the Holy Spirit leading me is the very best. And I'll tell you, but there's so much more that we can write. So, all right. All right. The question then is, does Luke's narrative allow for enough time for a trip to Egypt? Between the circumcision of Jesus and the trip uh, to the temple was 32 days, about a month. Trying to fit a trip to Egypt and back in that time frame is problematic. Yes. A better way to reconcile Matthew's and Luke's narrative is to place the flight to Egypt after Jesus' appearance in the temple. Yes. This assumes that Joseph and Mary remained in Bethlehem after Jesus' birth and that they had a place to stay, a house. Yeah. See Matthew 2.11. Yeah, because it talks about that. So it didn't happen like immediately. And I can see that. I can understand that. So they first went to the temple before they went down to Bethlehem. They first did that, and that would have been the part of their culture. They wanted to get it done immediately. They wanted to, you know, give their firstborn baby over to God. You know, that was kind of the whole dedication process. But Luke 2.39 says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, so here's context here, required, what do they have to do? They had to show their baby at the temple. They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Note that Luke does not say that they immediately returned to Galilee, and there is no reason to insert that the word into um, that word into the reverse. One could just as easily insert the word eventually. The fact is that Luke doesn't specify how much time elapsed. He simply says that after their visit to the temple, Joseph and Mary settled in Nazareth. That's it. It could have been days later. It could have been even months. If we place the flight to Egypt in the middle of Luke 2.39, we have a workable chronological logic. Here are seven things we see. Man, I can't speak neither at all. Well, here, let me ask you a question before you go on. Right. So you think maybe part of the confusion is people read that visit to the temple and they tie that in with the circumcision? So they're thinking, oh, well, that was on the eighth day. They had to be there, yeah. where maybe that wasn't the case at all. He may have been circumcised in, in Bethlehem, yeah. and they just made a trip to the temple later to kind of present him to the Lord. 
Yeah, there some are just saying, well, they, he never went to Egypt, and they're saying that he did go to Egypt. Or wait, the Bible is saying that they didn't go to Egypt, and it's all confusing and it's contradicting itself. It's, it's it never really happened. Well, what we're saying here is, yeah, it did really happen. It's just there was a gap there. Well, we kind of have proof <clears throat> that he did flee because he's alive, right? Because yeah. all the two, all the kid, all the babies, two years, all the male, male babies, two years and under were killed. Yeah. So I, the fact that Jesus is still alive, it, kind of. And that's historical leans to the point that uh, they got out of there. That's historical, not just within biblical. I think there's, from what I remember, there was actual historical proof of Roman documents talking about Herod's craziness Man, and doing insane, that. Isn't it? All right. So All let's, right. let's talk about the chronological order as we see it. So after visiting the temple, Joseph and Mary returned to Bethlehem in the months since Jesus birth, Joseph had probably sought temporary work there. At that work had become more permanent, perhaps. It also quite possible that Joseph was planning to resettle his new family in Bethlehem, thinking it would be good for the son of David to be reared in the city of David. This is just speculation, but this is what, let's just walk through kind of what we're thinking, okay? The second thing we see is Simeon and Anna begin spreading the news that they have seen the Messiah in Jerusalem. So we know that in Luke 2, 25 through 38. Okay. These are eyewitnesses that are saying this now out loud. Okay. The third thing we see is that sometime later, the Magi arrived at Jerusalem, confirmed the news on the street that the Messiah has been born. Matthew 2 says that. Herod sends the Magi onto Bethlehem, where they find young Jesus. Okay. So that's a fact. Can't deny that. The fourth is that the Magi return home a different way. And Joseph is warned in a dream to flee to Egypt. Okay, this is context. We're, we're walking it through. The fifth is that after a while, Herod figures out that the Magi have disregarded his wishes, and he orders the slaughter of all males two years old and younger near Bethlehem. Notice how it says near Bethlehem. So yeah. everything in that vicinity. Yep. Matthew 2.16. The two-year com, uh, com, uh, computation indicates that Jesus could have already been that old. Six, Herod dies. We've studied this last week. Four BC is what the historians say. Seven, Joseph, because, well, this is a big deal because this is how we track what took place is during when, because we have written documents on that. Okay. Josephus also talks about that. Joseph brings seventh, we, Joseph brings his family back from Egypt. We know that from Matthew 2 19 through 21. And out of fear of Herod's son, Joseph changes his plan to settle in Bethlehem and instead moves back to Galilee. So it's probably still fresh. They're probably thinking, well, he went to kill all the kids in Bethlehem. I'm not going to bring him back there just in case that's still remembering. So there, this is what we're assuming. Why did he go back? That's probably what he, what's happening. I don't know. We don't know. Maybe God told him exactly. Yeah. You're not going to move there. You're going to go to Nazareth. Well, think of it. He would stand out too. If he went back to Bethlehem, he'd be the only boy that age. Yeah. And there's not many... Oh, that's a very good point. And there's in the, in that area was small, so it wasn't like that big. Yeah. So there is nothing in above chronolo chronology that contradicts either Matthew or Luke. The only way to find contradiction between Matthew 2, 21, 23 and Luke 2, 39 is to make assumptions based on preconceived bias against the veracity of Scripture. So if I want to believe that the Bible is not true, then I'm going to make a stink out of it and just believe that no matter what you say. And so that's kind of that's kind of what yeah, you can always find something and twist it to and to, they do, to fit your narrative. And all of us know people like that. Yeah. That they'll no matter what you say, they're gonna find a way to put a stink on it. 
So yeah. we believe that the word of God is the word of God. And so we live yeah. by that. And that's the truth. Amen. All right. All right. The bottom line is this, that the gospels were written by four different men to four unique audiences. You know, I, I, it's easy to forget that. Yep. <laughs> Each one of those four men, they were writing to different people and that's kind of the, why they wrote in different ways too. Yep. So it is natural that they would include different details concerning the life of Christ, but the writing was superintended by the Holy Spirit. That's key. Who guaranteed that what each wrote was the absolute truth. There are differences, but they can all be harmonized. I love that. The narratives of Jesus's birth found in Matthew and found in Luke are not contradictory, but complimentary. Yeah. And I, and I believe that, you know, the reason why we brought this up is because if there's somebody out there um, and somebody at Christmas uh, family comes over and they say, no, there's just a bunch of contradictions in the Bible. Well, we kind of give you context to those statements and, and you can read certain scriptures and ask the question, well, what's going on? Well, just know that it's, there's a bunch of different eyewitness accounts. They're given their side of the story. And there's a lot of things sometimes that they don't mention, you know, sometimes like John, we know that those, that last week of Jesus is mentioned in the majority of the whole book of John, but there was so many other years that we don't have been in, you know, if one of the writers says, oh, I remember back when we did this, you know, and it's like, well, that's not true because the other Bibles don't say that. Well, no, that's just their eyewitness account. So there's, there's, we have to know that. So they come from different perspective. It doesn't mean it's contradiction. It just means it's that. Here's the other thing is we talked about was Jesus born in the manger or not? Well, we just wanted to have fun to discuss that. So we talked about that. It could be in between Migdal and Bethlehem. You know, that's, that's a discussion. Why not? You know, uh, why not, you know, think about, well, the shepherds knew exactly where to go. Maybe it was, you know, the lambs part, you know, that makes sense, right? We can't, just say, no, that never happened. So we talked about it. You know, another thing is we talked about the nativity scene a little bit, you know, the importance of this manger and, or was that last week? Maybe that was last week. I get them all confused, but we talk about, you know, what's important or not important. And, and the bottom line is the, the here's the importance. Jesus was born Amen. and he lived a life that was perfect. And he gave us a living example of how we are to live on this earth. And, and then he breathed upon us the Holy Spirit so that we can have the same power and the authority that he had to overcome the temptations. And, and because we accept Jesus Christ in our hearts, because we believe that he was born, that he died and he rose again, we then now have, by believing in him, eternal life. But if we don't believe in him, we are separated from God for all eternity. He gives us that opportunity. Jesus set the record straight. And so he became the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He became um, the, the, the ultimate majesty. He became our high priest. He became, um, uh, uh, we become royal priesthood in Jesus. You know, we become perfect saints and holy. We take on his characteristics, his righteousness, his nature. Um, and because the Holy Spirit now lives within us. And apart from him, we don't have any of that. So with that said, let's let's talk to the person that maybe doesn't know Jesus. If you're listening to the show, um, at the end of every show, we always give people opportunities um, to give their life to the Lord. And we would never want you not to. If you're asking in your heart, how do I give my life to the Lord? I don't want to die and live in hell for all eternity. I want to have eternal life. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So what do I do? Well, here's what you do. 
you close your eyes and you just repent of your sins. You, you basically say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for living my life for myself. I choose today to repent of my sins and to follow you and to live my life according to your will and your purpose. I want to, I want to repent of my sins. I want to start doing things according to what you want. And I, and I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again on the third day so that I can have eternal life and live with you for all eternity. And, and, and if you do that, then the Bible says that you need to confess him. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I too will confess you before my father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I too will deny you before my father in heaven. So when you were living your life for yourself before Christ, you were denying God. You were living for yourself. But now Jesus is saying, now you're to be identified with Christ. You are to share your life with other people. You're to talk about him. You're to walk with him. You're to celebrate him and point people back to him. That's what a, a confessed life looks like. And if you do that, the Bible says he's going to rejoice with you. And so if you gave your life to the Lord, Bob, how could they get a hold of us? We would love to hear from them. Yeah, absolutely. Go to our website, theriotpodcast.com. Click on the No God tab. Scroll down to the bottom, and there's this place that says, Get in touch with us. Just give us your name um, and email so we can reach back out to you, and then leave a message. Share with us... Uh, uh, that you had just accepted Christ, or if you have other questions or concerns or uh, topics or that you'd like us to cover on the show, you can use this contact page for any of those things. And we would just, man, we would just absolutely love to hear from you. And Pete, I would also encourage them to go to our social media site um, and uh, just, just like those pages. So you can reach out to us there too. We'll, we'll respond to you there, whether it's be Facebook or Twitter, or if you're watching us on YouTube, you can just comment right below uh, in the comments section. Make sure that you click the, the bell so you're notified every time a new um, a new podcast comes out. And finally, I would just encourage you to share this with somebody. It's it's Christmas time, of year, you know, Christmas time of year, people are traveling and anybody can use a good podcast to listen to while you're traveling. So share share the podcast with somebody today and encourage them as well. I mean, I think we had a lot of fun today, Pete. Shed, shed maybe a little truth and um, maybe a different perspective that people haven't thought about yeah. about you know the birth uh, just surrounding the birth of our Savior. And uh, yeah. again, does it does it matter whether he was born in a barn or the basement? No, it doesn't matter. It matters that he came. And uh, it's just like, really cool. I like what you said. You know, a different perspective. I think that's what we do. I I, I mean, we're bringing we're bringing light to different truths. We're we're make, well, it's the same truth. It's Jesus, but yeah. it's. You know, there's so many different confusing things out there. We just want to make sure we clarify the contradictions. We want to clarify what we believe and why we believe it. We're not trying to say, oh my gosh, there's a donkey and everything, and it has to be a camel, and there has to be angels and all this stuff. And so the nativity scene or whatever else that we're believing, it's different. We have to stop for a second. We have to think, okay, what does the actual Bible say? And that's what we do. We just bring light to it and we give different perspectives sometimes than what people actually hear. So I like that. Yeah. Different perspective. You know, here's what came to mind when when you when you said that. And I and, and then I'll I'll wrap on this. But we talk a lot about football here, right? Yeah. And if you've ever been to a football game, there's a lot of different places you can see the game from. It doesn't change the plays on the field, it doesn't change the outcome of the game, but how you see the game is different. If you're watching it from the tunnel or the sideline or from the 50 yard line or from the skybox, it's all a different perspective. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think what we did today. We're just yeah. trying to, we're just trying to give you some different views yep. of, of the birth of Christ and all that that's surrounded. It. And, and when you see a nativity scenes. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Have an amazing right. week of work. Merry Christmas. Guys. Love Be you guys. Blessed. Merry Christmas. This has been The Riot Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please feel free to leave a comment and share it with your friends. See you back here next week for another episode of The Riot Podcast.